2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, it's a really, really, really big day here on this, uh, this day. Congressman Mark Pocan will be with us in just a moment for a, a National Progressive Town Hall meeting, if you want to start getting in the queue. I also want to get into this question of why the Republican Party is so committed to destroying our public school system. You know, for much of my life, this was a mystery, why Republicans are so committed to this. I'll, I'll tell you the conclusion I came to as I sat down to write this piece yesterday. But let's start with Congressman Mark Pocan. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He's a member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House. His website, Pocan, POCAN.HOUSE.GOV. His Twitter handle is Rep. Mark RepMarkPocan. And, uh, Congressman, welcome back to the program. And I noticed that this drug price reform bill that's working its way through the House does not include insulin. What, what's going on with this?
3: Yeah. Hey, Tom, it's good to be here. I don't know if whatever is moving through the House or Senate is in its final version. Lloyd Doggett, who is one of our members on the Ways and Means Committee, who's really followed this more than anything, gave the Progressive Caucus Exec Committee a little update. And um You know, uh, we would love to see a more robust bill, and I think we're still working on it. That's why we're not at a final bill yet, but this is all part of, I think, that reconciliation process. I got to be honest, though, Tom, you know, I, I think I believe in a Loch Ness monster sighting almost more than a reconciliation bill sighting, given, you know, Joe Manchin continually playing the role of Lucy with the football and, uh, you know, all the rest of us trying to be Charlie Brown and think he's actually going to work this time. I, I don't know where we'll be with something. It's important that we try to get something forward, but with a 50 50 Senate, and a four-seat margin in the house and, and people who uh, may be close to some of the special interests involved. It's been really difficult, which is why we need to grow our margins to be able to get things done.
2: Amen. So, uh, you know, normally when we start these, I, I ask you what's on your mind. So let me just toss that to you. Is there anything you wanted to share with our listeners before we start taking calls? <sighs>
3: You know, this week and next week, and then we're into the August um, uh, in-district period where, you know, your member will be home. So it's lots of opportunity to talk to your member of Congress about issues important. But right now a lot of what we're doing is codifying things like uh, current marriage law, current law around contraception, uh, all sorts of things because of the extremist-packed Supreme Court. We need to do these things legislatively and uh you know that's what we're really kind of working on in the house to get that done along with the appropriations process the national defense bill and other bills uh, in the next two weeks
2: yeah i saw that your your colleague jim jordan uh, gave a big speech on the floor of the house saying that there's no need to pass you know protections for gay couples to be married um as as one of those what say you on this
3: yeah, well, I spoke on the floor, you know, and um, actually, uh, Whoopi Goldberg on the View today picked up uh, the majority of my speech, and I made her laugh. So I, th- I think that's, that's like a, a nice, yeah, thing. But you know, I mean, Jim Jordan clearly, you know, they're they're trying to spin everything is um, not needed. They just want to talk about their tired old talking points on inflation and the border, and you know, whatever they've they've you know been testing. But the the reality is, you know, that Roe decision, you know, they've been trying to pack the Supreme Court. For decades, with the goal of overturning Roe, we shouldn't be shocked that they actually did what they said. But they also said that um, argument, Clarence uh, Thomas, who you know is one of their north stars for the conservative movement, that they should also revisit uh, marriage law and contraception law. So it's very clear uh, that that's at risk. I, I think my last line in my speech was, you know, if I was them, I might be more worried about when a member uh, accuses their party of having coca- cocaine-fueled orgies uh, rather than worrying. About About my marriage, uh, that might be a better use of their time.
2: Yeah, amen. All right, so let's pick up some phone calls here. Jeff, in Fort Dodge, Iowa, you are on the air with Representative Pocam.
0: Hello, Congressman Pocan. Uh, I, uh, My Congressman Senator, or excuse me, Representative Feenstra here, wrote an editorial to our local Fort Dodge paper yesterday and uh, said that the main thing that's holding back our economy is uh, the Biden agenda and the Build Back Better priorities and the Green New Deal priorities. Well, I didn't know anyone, either one of those got passed, And he states our fuel problem is because of the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, That's what I was are hearing here in Iowa. And there's no counter message or counter narrative to that. Could you speak to
2: that? And and I don't think that tar sands uh, stuff that comes through Keystone XL can even be made into gasoline. It's got to be made into heavier fuels and oils and things.
3: Yeah, and it would take years to construct, and uh, that's not going to help our immediate problem anyway. So I mean, there's like all kinds of, this is the Republican Party, right? They're putting out these things that uh, they've thrown against the wall, they think stick at least with their base. My guess is that um, people who aren't their base might be a little smarter and do exactly what you just did, Jeff, and shoot down all their arguments is not real. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping to come through—I usually do—Iowa's uh, in my Midwest region, and I think in October I'll be coming through parts of Iowa and Nebraska and Minnesota helping some of the candidates, so I'll be glad to talk about a lot of these things, uh, you know, when I'm coming through. But, you know, you already did the job that I would be saying, which is uh, if these Bills haven't happened. How is that holding it back? It's just like blaming Joe Biden for inflation. He's responsible for worldwide inflation, apparently. I, you know, it's just their arguments cave relatively easily, and uh, you just need to, if you could, write a letter to the editor uh, for that newspaper and say, hey, I read this, and uh, none of this makes any sense, you know, and and push back yourself, because I think that's the best thing we can do, is have local people in these districts push back on their really um, very fact-free arguments they're putting out there.
2: Amen. Michael in Houston, Texas, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
3: Thank you. Congressman, this is my question to you.
0: And it frightens me to death when I saw this here. And it was all about our democracy. When I saw General Milley, I think it was General Milley, walking down that plaza with Trump, that was a picture that I thought I would never see in America. But that, the Secret Service stuff doesn't surprise me. How do we protect ourselves if the military is involved Are they swayed it, by this here cold personality. Was that not a frightening picture to any of you all in America, to you guys, to see that general walking down that plaza in
3: that environment with the president? Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, he talked about that afterwards and regretted uh, some of the actions with that. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm quite a critic of spending in the Pentagon, but um, we didn't see the military do what. Donald Trump would have liked them to do. I mean, Donald Trump wants to be an autocrat. He wants to be Putin on steroids, uh, you know, via our country. And I, I think, you know, I give the military credit that they didn't go that path. I do agree with you on the Secret Service. You know, we've got to bring them into the one six com- uh, you know, January 6th committee. And I think that's what we're doing right now, Michael. More than anything, is just you know through that committee exposing all these lies. And you're starting to see in Michigan, in the, among Republican voters, actually uh, DeSantis was, I think, leading Donald Trump. So maybe there's progress.
2: You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Vincent in Prescott Valley, Arizona, you are on the air with Representative Pocan.
4: Thanks, Tom. Hi, Senator. I'm uh, calling to discuss something briefly. I'm in a conservative area, and I believe that... Uh, We're going to need a lot of conservatives to change their vote to keep democracy alive. First, you have to ask yourself, who would benefit if we did not have a democracy? Who can live in this country without it? And that's the super rich. What are we doing to win and educate the, the conservative voters?
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, Vincent, I, what I use and I'm hearing more people on the Democratic side use um, is the, the fact that there's a, really a fight for your freedoms going on. Um, you know, They're gonna keep uh, talking about COVID inflation and absolutely there's inflation we're facing globally. Um, they're gonna talk about the border and there are issues that they talk about. But you know, I think we have to talk about the loss of freedoms. When you look at that Supreme Court decision, I mean, that was decades in the making of stacking a court. With conservative extremists. And now um, they will, you know, they're already signaling they may go after things like marriage equality and the use of contraception. I think one member, Tom, I think I heard from yesterday, said something like they want to protect contraception for married couples. Like they don't even want, yeah, this is how extreme they really are as a party right now because it's a party of Q, not a a Republican party. And and it's Donald Trump's cult uh, that's out there. So, Vincent, honestly, just talk about. About your freedoms, if you care about your, the decisions you make for your own life, for your own body, like with the decision on Roe about who you love, about what you're able to do, like have access to contraception, uh, that should, no pun intended, trump uh, you know paying an extra $15 uh, right now in your tank, like. People are globally, really, again, inflation is a global issue. So I think if we stress those freedoms that, were, that are at risk right now, I think that may be a real strong message, especially for independents and conservatives.
2: Steve, in Lake Elsinore, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan.
3: Hi, uh, Tom, Congressman Pocan.
4: This morning on NPR, they reported a study on the effects of gun violence in America. It cost America over $500 billion a year in terms of medical costs and all the other things that come with bio, uh, gun violence. And amongst the survivors, 50% psych, suffer psychological problems, 85% have substance abuse problems after experiencing gunshots. Do you think this new data might help move the uh, the ball as far as getting some kind of gun control in America, including background checks and uh, assault
3: weapon ban? Thanks for bringing that up, Steve. So, actually, this afternoon, the Joint Economic Committee that I serve on, which is one of four statutory House Senate committees we have here in Washington, has a hearing on the cost, the financial cost of gun violence. So uh, hopefully I'll, I, I'll give you more information after a hearing like that. My guess, though, is that the economic impact that Republicans care about is the gun industry and their campaigns uh, more than their constituents, since they've never really cared about their constituents when it comes to gun laws. I'm not sure if this will be the pivotal point to suddenly give, you know, 10 crews a conscience. But I do hope it helps us maybe move the public dime a little in, in realizing that there are a lot of other costs in addition to the lives lost that the gun industry is is profiting on while we all pay for it.
2: Lisa, in Trevor, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
5: Um, yes, basically I'm my stomach has been in knots over this whole abortion thing, and especially over what's been going on in the last few days. The abortion legislation that's been passed in the right-wing states has given every man and post-pubescent boy in those areas the ability to make every woman or girl child of childbearing capability a victim of her biology, potentially imposing a death sentence on her. I mean, there's ectopic pregnancies, deaths of the fetuses, etc. Are you going to push to get commercials or ads out there to make sure that this is stated we need to scare the heck out of women to understand what's going on this isn't just and i say just lightly a matter of unwanted pregnancies now this is potentially a matter of life and death once again imposed on her by males controlling her please please do something about this as i i'm imploring you
3: Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. And thanks for calling from my home state and my my birth county, uh, Kenosha County. Um, So uh, what we did last week is we passed two things out of the House. Uh, One uh, would codify Roe into law so that you wouldn't have to worry about an activist uh, Supreme Court uh, doing anything differently like they did. And then also a bill to protect people who travel across state lines. So those two things right now are going to the Senate. Our our real problem, Lisa, and and there's many ways to get the message out, but the intensity in your voices and many, many women's voices, and I think that word is getting out. But what we need to do is get the Senate to quit following rules that were created when people wore powdered wigs to work. You know, we don't anymore, although there are some members, I'm sure, who wear wigs, uh, I think by the the sense of toupees. uh, But we really need to change the procedures of the senate because it is truly an obstacle uh, to so many things right now and uh I hear you, and we're going to be talking about this a lot. It's not just that freedoms of marriage, freedoms of contraception use, other things that were signaled in that opinion, especially in Clarence Thomas's portion. So we're doing our best by passing bills out of the House. We need action from the Senate.
2: All right, we just have 30 seconds to the break here, Congressman. Do you expect that there's any possibility that we could blow up the filibuster?
3: Boy, I'll tell you, you know, every bill that comes that adds another reason why it's building and building. Hmm. The problem is, you know, from the antiquated blue slip rule they follow, you know, Ron Johnson just did it again in Wisconsin, put someone's name forward, and now we won't turn the blue well, slip. Well, McConnell
2: day. ignored those. Why doesn't Why doesn't uh, Schumer?
3: I know. That's the thing. These are old, antiquated rules. We need a Senate that works for people now, and we don't have
2: to. Yeah, I get it. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. You can find his website at pokan.house.gov. You can tweet him at RepMarkPocan. Lance in Columbus, Ohio. You're on the air with Representative Pocan.
6: Yes, good afternoon, Tom and Congressman Pocan. I'm calling about do you know if the administration is going to do anything about uh, DeJoy, you know, our friend and head of the, the postal service, because his decisions have affected the whole country, especially uh, when he had those machines destroyed, because isn't that paid for by the taxpayers? And also, too, with the Republicans uh, coming up with these laws to change the results of the voters, do you know if the administration is doing anything about that?
3: Yeah. So, Lance, the the way that DeJoy is put into um, his position is through the Postal Board of Governors. And while they are appointed by the president, they're staggered terms. And I forget the date now because it's been a few months since I've looked at this. But there, there needs to be another, I think, appointment by Joe Biden to have uh, essentially a Democratic majority on the Postal Board of Governors to deal more directly with uh, Postmaster DeJoy. So um, the good news is we passed the Postal Reform Act earlier this year that took out that crazy pre-funding 75 years in the future employee benefits. It guarantees a six-day delivery, which I think is really, really important in, in the bill didn't get nearly enough attention. Uh, but I agree with you. We need to do more. And Postmaster DeJoy uh, has not done things, I think, that are beneficial to the American people on behalf of the post office, which, by the way, is one of the few uh, agencies uh, enumerated in the Constitution.
2: Did you guys, by the way, uh, stop him from buying all those uh, diesel and gasoline cars and trucks or vehicles?
3: So I just heard this this morning. No, we didn't stop him yet because he was going to buy us like I think ten percent of the new fort, the new fleet, and he's trying to increase that actually to forty percent. So he's actually
2: forty percent electric.
3: 40- yeah, yeah. So he's actually going to be moving in the right way. Maybe there was enough pressure on that. Um, and interestingly, Oshkosh, a company in Wisconsin, had the contract on the 10%. It sounds like, because this is all new from this morning, it might even be reopening potentially that contract and rebidding. I'm not 100% sure, but we that's kind of what we're reading out of what happened. But just new this morning, they're going to increase that to 40%.
2: Very interesting. Raymond in Junction City, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocam. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and thanks for everything that the
1: two of you do. I'm calling because I'm concerned about the way states' rights is being portrayed. I've had conversations with people. I live in a very, very conservative area, and I've had conversations with people concerning abortion and a lot of other things. And so many of these people cannot see the connection between their religious beliefs and their arguments for states' rights. And I think one of the most important things that we need to do um, is we need to attack this issue of states' rights. I mean, intensely, because what is states' rights, what has this argument used to be, uh, has been used to justify in the past? And what are they using this argument today to justify? And I just think that this is an angle that the Democratic Party really needs to attack the Republican Party and all these wackos, Um, and
2: just show them for what they really are. And it's amazing how Raymond, let's get let's get a response here. Thank you.
3: Yeah, so Raymond. First of all, I mean, the Republicans are completely hypocrites on this. They're for states' rights when it's convenient. They're against it when it's not. So um, I don't know if you can say it's pure because they aren't pure in, in their messaging. But I, I don't know if that's as strong an argument as talking about someone's freedom to make decisions over their body. Um, that's more personal than talking about a concept like states' rights. So I just think going after the freedom issue, the freedom to make you know to love who you want to love, the freedom to be able to make the decisions over your own body, uh, especially for women who now have to go back a half a century, or in Wisconsin back to 1849 law uh, when it comes to abortion. I think those are our strongest arguments and not necessarily getting sidetracked by their very false arguments, because they're not even for states' rights, because often they're not, and it's completely hypocritical. Stephen,
2: in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you are on the air with Representative Pocam.
0: Thank you guys for taking my call. Say, I have a question about Merrick Garland and him saying that there'll be no prosecutions before the midterm elections. My problem with that is uh, castrates the January 6th committee and it also provides Donald Trump with carte
6: blanche to do whatever he wants. And if he gets into office, there will never be any prosecution of the gentleman ever.
3: Yeah. So a couple of things, you know, one, I mean, any prosecutor tell you they've got to build the case to the point they think they can win it. And, you know, you're first getting all the information coming out of the January 6th committee. It's being shared with a justice who has to do their work. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if the timing can be decided on based on an election versus when you have the information. Having said that, I just have concern about the Department of Justice under the attorney general period, whether they'll be willing to be aggressive on this, because, you know, I think there has to be legal actions in order to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I'm a little afraid um, that someone who was as judicious as Merrick Garland, which is why he was considered for the Supreme Court, whether or not he's the right person to be ultimately making this call on something that I think uh, many of us would like to see prosecutions out of.
2: Dan in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
1: Hey, Representative. First of all, thank you very much for taking the initiative and passing all this legislation in the wake of what laws might be on the chopping block with the Supreme Court. Um, I had a question, and, Tom, you've talked about this before, so you might be able to elaborate a little further. But I believe the Constitution gives Congress the power to strip the Supreme Court of jurisdiction over specific matters and so in the wake of all of these rulings is this something that's being considered as the as the house is proposing these pieces of legislation whether or not they're going to get anywhere in the fact um, i just wanted to see if there's a way to codify these specific matters into law and ensure that the supreme court can't can't meddle with it
3: Yes. So there was a letter just done by uh, Mondaire Jones and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez around this with abortion. Nancy Pelosi brought it up yesterday on our our debate about marriage equality that uh, the Republicans tried to do this when the courts uh, made their decision, try to take away, or when they passed DOMA, they tried to take away the court's decision. I, I just don't, I'm not sure I want to make a a snap decision on what the court has power over. We should have a consistent policy if we're going to do that. Um, And maybe there is a way that we should be doing this. But honestly, I go back to the single best decision we could make is to expand the court. And um, again, I don't think the Senate's going to do it because they still follow rules that were invented when people wore powdered wigs, and that's part of our problem. But uh, to specifically to your question, yes, uh, they're, they're just in the last week was and talk
2: about it. Bill, in Clifton, New Jersey, you're on the air with Representative Pocan.
6: Yeah, hi, Just first I just wanted to mention the Supreme Court justices, you have to remember there were no circuit court justices before like 1910 because the, the Supreme Court justices did their jobs. They worked in, the, in their districts and there were only six of them because there were three districts. And it, it, there wasn't going to be an automatic, uh, you know, majority. They wanted representation with the justices, not to have a an outcome that would be. No, an odd I think number. you're
2: a little off on your history. But what's your question for Congressman Pocan?
6: Oh, Okay, sorry, I thought they rode the circuit. Um, they did ride the, the circuit, uh,
2: but it wasn't just them. But we're wandering into other territory here. What's your question oh, okay. for Congressman Okay. Anyway,
6: Pocan? yeah, between the uh, oil subsidies, the lack of their 50% tax. The windfall profits tax and the cost, I think it was around $120 billion or something, and $100 billion is puts $500 into the hands of each of the 220 million people with driver's licenses. I don't know why we're not adding up the cost and showing it what it costs, plus the cost of defending the uh, shipping lanes and the cost of cancer and everything else associated with oil. So let's, let's
2: talk oil. about the costs of uh, fossil fuels. Congressman.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, we have a half a million uh, electric uh, charging stations in the infrastructure bill, and we're trying to continue to move uh, in that direction. I do think, though, that we should be taking on the oil executives and, you know, uh, putting them to some public uh, court of opinion. Uh, I think that would be important. I think, you know, we shouldn't give people these uh, drilling rights that they don't use. Uh, I think there's a lot that we do. We still subsidize the wildly profitable oil industry. I think there's a lot we can do that should be used to make them behave. And unfortunately, I don't see all that happening.
2: Joe, in Chicago, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. Um, I'm calling because I have grave concerns
0: that the Democratic leadership fails to recognize that they need a very strong spokesperson, as opposed to ineffectively responding to the daily lives of Republicans and Fox News. So the vote to codify marriage rights was very good. Unfortunately, there is no response from Chuck Schumer, whose performance is best described at this point as lame. There should have been a vote yesterday or today for the same issue. When they tried to codify Roe, rights for abortion rights vote on a second bill that Mansion claims he would have voted for out
3: there that was a little less. The question is, why are they not criticizing um, Schumer in the leadership? Congressman? Yeah, and, uh, I think that actually might be the beeper here for uh, different times we have in the background. So oh. I apologize for that if that was interfering. But so to be fair. This morning, I did see Chuck Schumer said they're going to be trying to work to line up the votes. They're moving closure on something else. Uh, They're working with Tammy Baldwin in the Senate, who's been the lead point on the marriage bill, for example. I understand the sentiment, though, because with the 50-50 Senate and with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin again, it's been difficult to get much through. But this should be an opportunity. I mean, you know, that was a—for the House Republicans, that was a sizable vote, even if it was only between 40 and 50 Republicans who did the right thing. and Almost 160 proved they were extremists that didn't support current marriage law in this country. But I want to be fair, at least they brought it up and they say they're moving towards it. But the action we need is them actually doing some of these things, codifying Roe, codifying marriage law, codifying contraception law, and moving some other things forward. And again, that probably is going to require uh, a change in their, their filibuster rules.
2: Congressman, we're down to uh, forty seconds here. It just wouldn't be fair to put somebody on it with that little bit of time. You want to you want to wrap up the, the the week for us and tell us what we should be doing here and looking for going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know. I- I guess always I would love to see the Senate change their rules and get something done. Because I think, you know, looking at November, there are some headwinds against us. There's certainly some good headwinds with us. People understanding their freedoms are at risk. But when we can't get more done simply because of Senate rules, not law, not statute, but their rules, um, that's a problem. And that ultimately, I think, could, could hurt the cause. And uh, we need the Senate to kind of maybe you know hear from people, especially during the, the period after next week when they're home, that we need them to change how they operate so we can get things done.
2: The main rule being the filibuster that you're talking about.
3: That and the blue slips and a bunch of other antiquated rules. are yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom. Take always care.
2: Always great having you on pocan.house.gov. We will be back. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Stick around. Why is the Republican Party so hell-bent on destroying public schools? I mean, this didn't used to be the GOP. I was born in 1951, and, and back then, you know, I don't remember it, but back then, the, the Republican Party loved public schools. Dwight Eisenhower was elected president in '52. He was a Republican. He spent his entire eight years building public schools all, all over America. I went to one of them, it was just a block from my house, it was a brand new spanking new school. I mean, it was literally built the year, well, the year before I I went into, into elementary school. And that's true of, you know, so many people my age all over the country. We had these brand new schools that Dwight Eisenhower, the Republican president built. But what happened? Well, Michael Perotka is the Republican Party's nominee for uh, attorney general for the state of Maryland. He won the primary uh, yesterday. Maybe it was the... No, it was Tuesday of this week. Excuse me. I guess it was announced yesterday. Um, but he won that primary, and uh, he wants to close the public schools because he says they're communist. Now, we've been hearing this for a long time, right? All oh, these public schools are all coming. What does that mean? I mean, does it... Do you really think that Michael Perotka or any other Republican actually believes that the heir to the presidential palace in Cuba, to to Fidel Castro's home, is going to take over the United States? That there is a communist conspiracy to run this government? Seriously? They don't even have communists in Russia anymore. Louise and I were in Cuba a couple of years ago. They, they're introducing capitalism. China calls themselves communist, but they, they've, their capitalism is more efficient, more effective, and more widespread, and frankly, richer than ours. So seriously, I don't think anybody you know, thinks that Republicans actually believe that public schools are communist, and that's why they oppose them. So what's really going on here? You know, for three generations, political scientists, ever since the end of the Eisenhower administration, have been trying to figure out why are the Republicans so hell-bent on destroying public schools? This started in a big way in the the late 60s. And uh, in the GOP, I mean, it started kind of across the country in the late 50s, which gives us a clue to what's really going on here. And, of course, now it's just on steroids. Just last week, Doug Ducey, THE GOVERNOR OF ARIZONA SIGNED LEGISLATION TO GIVE public, PRIVATE SCHOOL VOUCHERS TO EVERY STUDENT IN THE STATE. NOW, THIS HAD BEEN A BALLOT MEASURE BACK IN 2018. SHALL WE GIVE PUBLICLY taxpayer funded PUBLICLY-FUNDED SCHOOL VOUCHERS TO EVERY STUDENT IN THE STATE IN ARIZONA? AND IT WAS DEFEATED ON A TWO-TO-ONE BASIS. I MEAN, IT WAS CRUSHED. IT WAS DESTROYED. In fact, uh, the, the, uh, Lori Roberts, who's a columnist for the Arizona Republic, she says, actually, they didn't just reject it. They stoned the thing. Then they tossed it into the street and ran over it. Then they backed up and ran over it again. So, you know, clearly the voters of Arizona don't want this. But the Republicans, ah, you know, who's, who cares about that? Who cares about the voters? We only care about our white supremacist racist base. Which brings us to, you know, I sat down yesterday to, to, to write this piece uh, thinking, why, you know, why are so many Republicans out there saying we've got to do away with public schools? Well, I get it. Okay, you've got unionized teachers. Is that it? No, I don't think so. And then you get to what are, what's going on in Texas and Florida right now? The kind of bellwether states for maggot activity. And what's going on in Texas and Florida right now is that Greg Abbott and Rhonda DeSantis in Arizona with Doug Ducey is that they're trying to destroy the public schools by imposing rules that public school teachers may not discuss race. You may not, these anti-critical race theories Uh, uh, laws. Now, critical race theory is not and never has been taught in our public schools. It's an obscure part of law school. But these laws are so loosely written that basically they outlaw any discussion of slavery, of race, of the actual true racial history of the United States. Which I think gives us a clue to why the Republicans have been gung ho on destroying public schools. In 1954, the Supreme Court reversed their Plessy decision in Brown v. Board of Education and said... No, you can't have integrated schools anymore separate but equal was BS and we're not going to hold to it. And then in in 58 in Aaron v Cooper I think it is, they they doubled down on that and and said you can't fund private schools. This was after I mean, you know, after Brown v. Board of Education. You had county after county, uh, you know, th- three different uh, th- two cities and three counties in Virginia. the the Virginia legislature basically shut down their schools. Prince Edward County was closed for five years, their public school system. Why? Because the white people who controlled that state and those school systems did not want black children in their schools. We had the Little Rock Nine. You had these nine black children who were trying to integrate Little Rock Central High School. President Eisenhower in 1958 sent federal troops down there to accompany these kids to class. The governor of the state, uh, Orville Faubus, or what, what was his name? I, I, let me find it here. Um, yeah, Faubus was his name. Uh, but, uh, Orville Faubus, sure enough. Um, he prevented them from going into the schools. Then he called a referendum in, in Little Rock and said, okay, let's vote on this. And the good citizens of Little Rock voted 19,000 to 7,000 to say, no, we're going to shut down the entire schools rather than integrate them. Jerry Falwell was starting to get into the private, all-white school you know, business, which is very, very profitable for a lot of these white supremacist churches. And, you know, as a result of this, and, and when Reagan came into office, he started embracing these white supremacist schools. And boom, off to the races. And we've been there ever since. This, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, for most of my life, I had no idea about this. You know, just another blissfully ignorant white guy. It just, it didn't even occur to me that all these Republicans who were railing against public schools and communism, that it was all code for, we don't want our kids to go to school with black kids. But I don't know how you can conclude anything else. The GOP, the core organizing principle of today's Republican Party, is racism and white supremacy. From Tucker Carlson talking about the Great Replacement Theory to uh, this, this guy who just, you know, is running for attorney general in the state of Maryland who was a member of the uh, League of the South, which is the Confederate League of the South which the Southern Poverty Law Center says is a hate group. Well, now we know why he hates public schools, too. So in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey this week signed into law a a bill that the supporters of it said will protect police officers from harm. Apparently it harms police officers if you video them doing their job. I mean, you know, Derek Chauvin's in prison. He just got another 20 years added to his sentence for murdering George Floyd. I guarantee you, if that 17-year-old girl had not had the courage to stand there and hold that camera for that full eight, nine minutes, Derek Chauvin would not be in jail right now because George Floyd was not the first black man that Derek Chauvin had brutalized. And he was, by the way, the training officer there. A couple of those cops who were with him were just trainees. It was like their first month on the job. So the, uh, the, the, the fine police officers of our country have decided this is a terrible thing. John Kavanaugh is a retired cop with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey who retired to Arizona and now serves in the Arizona legislature in the uh, House of Representatives in Arizona. And uh, Kavanaugh put this uh, bill forward. It says that uh, you can go to jail if you take pictures of or video a police officer questioning a suspicious person, conducting an arrest, issuing a summons, enforcing the law, or handling an emotionally disturbed or disorderly person, it specifies those things. And I, you know, the Department of Justice is, as at this moment, as we speak. The Federal Department of Justice is investigating the Phoenix Police Department for retaliation against protesters. More than 100 people were arrested during the uh, George Floyd protests, and uh, excuse me. More than 100 people who were arrested during the protests are now suing the department. More than 100 were arrested. But about 100 of them are suing the police department for brutality and other things like that. Well, this, this law, would mean that there's gonna be no evidence left. Expect to see this pop up in your state, coming to your state soon. This is not supporting the police. Supporting the police is when, when you help with training. It's when you make sure that there's enough cops that they can do their job. Supporting the police is supporting the police doing public safety and public service. Preventing the police from being held accountable is no more supporting them than than preventing anybody from being held accountable. This this law is just wrong. The other story I want to share with you is our geeky science for the day. Uh, Glyphosate, or glyphosate, I've heard it pronounced both ways over the years, uh, has been, it's sold under the brand name Roundup, made by Monsanto. 80% 80% of urine samples taken from children and adults in the United States now have been shown to contain glyphosate. And glyphosate causes cancer. It causes a cancer specifically called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. In fact, you can sue them if you get this cancer. That's how, that's how solid the, the, uh, the science is on this. And yet, last year in America, 200 million pounds of glyphosate were sprayed on our crops. They spray it on wheat and spinach before they harvest them. They, they spray it on uh, the genetically engineered crops. This was Monsanto's big invention back uh, two decades ago, was they genetically engineered a bunch of you know corn and soybeans and, and uh, other, other uh, staple crops. They genetically engineered them to be immune to glyphosate and then they sell these genetically modified seeds along with the glyphosate. So you plant the glyphosate-tolerant corn and then you just pour glyphosate all over your cornfield and it kills all the weeds, kills all the, it's an herbicide. The problem is, A, it causes cancer and it's now, you know, and and in fact, they're finding it in baby food because it's so, you know, thick in our food supply. It's outlawed in Europe, by the way. In most European countries, the European Union says it's a carcinogen. The CDC has only started examining the extent of human exposure to glyphosate, which is nuts. I mean, we've known this since 2019 was the definitive study on non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and, and glyphosate. But it also, you know, it, it the metabolic pathway in plants, the glyphosate interrupts so that they die is the same, or so that they starve, essentially is what happens, um, is the same metabolic pathway that bacteria have. And there's growing evidence that pregnant women who are exposed to glyphosate, that their gut flora may be disrupted enough that there appears to be an association between autism and glyphosate exposure. And there is an increasingly clear correlation. I mean, it's been, what, two years, I think, Sean, since we had uh, the scientists on, but there's a, a scientist who has really nailed this stuff down, that eating food with glyphosate in it kills your gut bacteria and causes IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And, uh, and that a lot of people who, uh, starting in the late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly developed IBS And it went away when they stopped eating wheat. It was probably because that was when they started using glyphosate on wheat. What it does is it it kills the stalks. It makes them brittle. They they die and they dry out and they're brittle. So when the threshing machine comes along to harvest the the wheat, the the little wheat heads pop right off rather than tearing off, you know, with all the green fibers before that. So they spray it on the crop. And then three or four days later, they come through and they harvest the crop. And guess what? All that glyphosate is in your wheat. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people. I'm convinced that that's what happened to me. I cannot eat wheat any longer. And I, I think it, it's probably because of the glyphosate. Although I could be wrong, but you know, this is a, a well-documented phenomenon. Which raises the question, when are we going to do something about this? The International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, has classified glyphosate as a carcinogen since 2015. But Monsanto is a huge company and they give a lot of money to politicians, particularly Republican politicians. Phil Landrigan is uh, a former scientist with the CDC and the EPA. He now directs a program called the Program for Global Public Health and the Common Good at Boston College. He said children are more heavily exposed to pesticides than adults because pound for pound they drink more water, eat more food, and breathe more air. Also, children have many years of future life when they can develop diseases with long incubation periods such as cancer. This is particularly a concern with the herbicide glyphosate. Wow. Wow. Heads up, right? Forewarned is forearmed. Dennis in Sarasota, Florida. Hey Dennis, what's on your mind today?
0: I was listening to, uh, watching Fox News the other night. I sneak in on him and do a little Intel gather, And I saw Mike Huckabee touting, you know, like infomercial sales mm-hmm. pitch guy, mm-hmm. a book, The Real Donald Trump for Children.
2: Oy. Huckabee has been Who a hustler expect- his entire career. I mean, so many of these well, religious religious uh, nuts really started out as, as grifters. And, you know, religion is a really can't, can't for. Some, I mean, I'm a fan of religion, but for some of these guys, religion is just a giant grift.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure you recall or it immediately struck you that that's the, one of the ploys that uh, Adolf Hitler did his youth armies, and it smelled to me. Now, you'll, you'll have to excuse me. I'm a little suspicious. I'm a Vietnam combat veteran. I did 42 years as a trial lawyer in the state and federal courts here in Florida. Uh, besides the fact I'm also an astronomer and astrophysicist. So I take everything with a large grain of salt. And I saw um, Huckabee doing that pitch. And the first thing I thought of was uh, they're setting up the children's brigades now. They're, they're going that far low.
2: Oh, the Hitler years. So it
0: looks like, um, you know, we're not done with this guy yet.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Well, thank you, uh, for the, thank you for the heads up, Dennis, on that. That's, yeah, well, uh, can, I,
0: can I get one commercial in? Sure. Uh, I'm a founding member of Florida Veterans for Common Sense. Uh, we're uh, friends of Greg Pallast, Professor Harvey Kaye, and Jim Hightower. They're all recipients of our awards, and Professor Kaye is our advisor. Cool. And um, we've been written up a couple of times over in
2: Mario, England. Cool. You want to plug a website?
0: Yeah, org.
2: You got it. Dennis, thank you. Thank you very much thank for the you. call.
6: Bye-bye. You're listening to Tom Hartman.
2: Whoa, sweet man, cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from FIGURE. Hal in San Diego, California. Hey, Hal, what's on your mind today? Yes, uh, I was just wondering why we haven't heard
4: from Stephen Levitt or Stephen Lubner on uh, the authors of Freakonomics. Actually, uh, Levitt, uh, Donaldson Levitt wrote a paper for the, the Economic Journal and absolutely established beyond scientific doubt that illegal abortion leads to predator children. And 20 years after we legalized abortion, the predator-child problem went away in America, and they found it all over the world. The same yeah, their,
2: thing their, their, their hypothesis was that unwanted children grow up to become uh, antisocial, shall we say, at the very least. Um, and not Absolutely. always, Not always, so, but you know an, enough that it shows up in the statistical record.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I think you ought to have him on as a guest. Now, the last thing I wanted to say uh, go, is that, you know, the problem that we have so many, especially the right-wingers, resent uh, immigrants, which their, their uh, corporate overlords require, is that we don't have any means to accommodate the need for more infrastructure, when we bring hundreds of thousands of people into the country. So it makes all the rest of us a little less well-off. And I believe that we should tax international transshipments of fossil fuels and munitions and give any country that will take a bunch of immigrants the money to build the cities and schools and all the things they need and so that immigrants become a
2: blessing rather than a burden. Well, the immigrants have always been uh, a blessing in the United States. It's the racist Republicans who are complaining about immigrants who have brown skin that have created a whole huge amount of hysteria around it. Um, Adam Tooze publishes a newsletter over on Substack called Chartbook. And yesterday or the day before, his, his newsletter included a graphic showing that there are 2 million fewer immigrants in the United States right now than the historical average, the 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 norm over the last 30 or 40 years, and uh, the reason why largely has to do with COVID, but it is showing up in how tight our labor markets are, which may be something that is producing some of our inflation, which I thought was fascinating. Hal, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Yes, on Free Economics, I remember reading the book back in the 90s. book today is The Poisoned City, Flint's Water and the American Urban Tragedy by Anna Clark. This is from the prologue. On a hot day in the summer of 2014, in the Civic Park neighborhood where Pastor R. Sherman McHathern preached in Flint, Michigan, water rushed out of a couple of fire hydrants. Puddles formed on the dry grass and splashed the skin of the delighted kids who ran through it. But the spray looked strange. The water was coming out dark as coffee for hours. McCatherin remembered. The shock of it caught in his throat. Something is wrong here. Something had been wrong for months. That spring, Flint, under the direction of state officials, turned off the drinking water that it had relied on for nearly 50 years. The city planned to join a new regional system called the Karagnode Water Authority. And while it waited for the KWA to be built, it began bringing in its water from the Flint River. McCatherin didn't pay much attention to the politicking around all this. He had enough to worry about with his busy parish. But after the switch, many of his neighbors grew alarmed at the water that flowed from their kitchen faucets and shower heads. They packed public meetings, wrote questioning letters, and protested at City Hall. They filled clear plastic bottles in their taps to show how the water looked brown or orange and sometimes had particulates floating in it. Showering seemed to be connected with skin rashes and hair loss. The water smelled foul. A sip of it put the taste of a cold metal coin on your tongue. But the authorities said everything was all right and you could drink it. So people did, McCatherin said later. Residents were advised to run their faucets for a few minutes before using the water to get a clean flow. But as the months went by, the city plant tinkered with treatment and issued a few boil water advisories. State environmental officials said again and again that there was nothing to worry about. The water was just fine. Whatever their senses told them, whatever the whispers around town, whatever Flint's troubled history with powerful institutions telling them what was best for them, this wasn't actually hard for people like McCatheryn to believe. Public water systems are one of this country's most heroic accomplishments, a feat so successful that it's almost invisible. By making it a common place for clean water to be delivered to homes, businesses, and schools, we have saved untold lives from what today sound like antiquated diseases in a Charles Dickens novel, cholera, dysentery, typhoid fever. Here in Flint, it was instrumental in turning General Motors, founded in 1908 in Vehicle City, as the town was known, into a global economic giant. The advancing underground network of pipes defined the growing city and its metropolitan region, which boasted of being home to one of the strongest middle classes in the entire United States. McCatherine is a tall, bald man with a thin mustache and a scratchy rasp in his baritone voice. At the time of the water switch, he had led the non-denominational Joy Tabernacle Church for about 15 years. It was founded in the YMCA in downtown Flint, where it held baptisms in the swimming pool. But in 2009, it made a home in Civic Park, where a Presbyterian church closed after 85 years and gave its sanctuary over to the young and hopeful congregation. By then, Civic Park, one of America's oldest subdivisions, was a desert of deserted, historically significant homes, the pastor said. Built between 1917 and 1919 by General Motors and DuPont and company, along curving, tree-lined boulevards, the tidy houses were designed for Flint's auto workers and their families. But over the years, the neighborhood was blighted by vacancy. Empty two-stories with lurching front porches and crumbling roofs sat alongside crisply painted homes where Flint residents, they sometimes called themselves flintoids or flintstones, still live their lives. When the sound of gunshots on the street outside interrupted services, McCatherine gave a nod to the church musicians, urging them to play louder. Some called Joy Tabernacle a thug church, he said, but McCatherine saw the good. The young men filling his pews built a proud society, if not by getting their names on the honor roll, then by tagging their names with spray paint. In the end, people just want to be seen. The ghosts of the past went well beyond Civic Park. Between General Motors and the United Auto Workers, the city had been a flourishing hub for American innovation. There were more than a hundred different manufacturing establishments in town. Ten of them employed at least a thousand people each. And they not only made automobiles, but paints, varnishes, tools, dyes, cotton, textiles, and a wealth of other products. Flint had one of the highest per capita incomes in the entire nation. And despite being severely segregated, it was a magnet for African-American migrants from the South. When Vice President Hubert Humphrey stopped by during the campaign for the 1964 presidential election, he praised Flint for, quote, zooming ahead with unbelievable growth and progress. Workers earned wages that are very good, Humphrey said, and quote. Because of the great labor management program in the community over many years, there has been a constant rise in the standard of living, end quote. Away from the assembly lines and the executive suites, the people of Flint felt that the city just shouldn't be a place to work. It should also be a place to thrive. Charles Stewart Mott, an auto pioneer who became GM's single largest stockholder and three-term mayor, created a nationally renowned community schools program that provided education, skills-building workshops, and social services. The book, The Poison City. Cody in New York City. Hey, Cody, what's up? Hey, Tom.
1: I wanted to address the issue of state legislatures overriding the votes of the people. And it just feels like we are not addressing the heart of the issue here. And and we really need to address the heart of the issue if we're going to solve this problem. And the issue is that the Electoral College in the Constitution specifically calls for state legislatures to have the power to override the will of the voters.
2: I know, and that's how it was done for the first 40 or 50 years of, of, of the United States. Yeah, People exactly. People did not vote for president.
1: That, exactly, but that's still in the Constitution. That is what the Electoral
2: College is all about. I know, and that's why I'm predicting that that's what the Supreme Court is going to do this fall, is they're going to they're say to the Republican-controlled states, Um, you know, if, if you don't like the way the election turned out for president, now you can't do that for governor or for senator or whatever, but for president, the electoral college only applies to the white house you know i think that they're going to hand it off I, I really do and it concerns me
1: exactly but it's not crazy that they would do this i mean what we hear from the democrats is oh my gosh this would be crazy if state legislatures could overrule it no that's what the electoral college says so it's no wonder if conservative courts uphold the electoral college because it's in the constitution i agree so i agree we was... need to start preparing for this
2: yeah I, that's that's why i wrote that piece you know a week or so ago that just went totally viral and what has happened is that every state in the union has passed laws saying that whoever gets the majority of the vote in their state for president gets the electoral college vote. And, you know, states can change those laws. I mean, like I said, those laws, most of those laws came about in the era just before the Civil War. So uh, they could go back to saying, you know, the, the state legislature will do that. It's just no state has done that yet. And, and I think the Supreme Court picking this up is going to give a lot of power to that whole movement. You know that John Eastman was trying to lever off of. The thing that John Eastman came up against was not the Constitution. It was state laws in Georgia and Wisconsin and Michigan that said that whoever wins the vote gets all our electoral votes. We'll be back tomorrow. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
6: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.